Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. There's evidence of life change all around us here at Waters Church, from baptisms to small groups, to Waters kids making Jesus the hero and leader of their lives. If you'd like to be a part of the life change that happens here week after week, you can. Just go to waterschurch.org give and select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining and we hope you enjoy today's message. My name is Brandon Tavares, and I was once not yet here. This chair, empty and welcoming, was never a place I thought I would find myself. A seat I believed only for those who were believers. A seat only for those who trusted in a book. A book I never really understood, with a bunch of rules and stories no one could really explain to me, and all of it about a God I never truly knew. See, I grew up in a non-Christian home, and that's important to know because everything you see and hear happening now was entirely unknown to me. Most people I knew to follow Christ seemed to do so because of cultural background or a personal fear. It wasn't something to choose, it was something to do. I recognized that choice and I chose to not be that. I lived a life I thought was free, free from the constructs of religion, free to make decisions based on personal judgment and morality, free to believe anything I wanted. As great as that sounded, what I didn't know was the pain and brokenness I would feel because of it. With each new failing attempt at finding what I thought would make me happy, my heart grew more empty. By always investing myself in another and resting the fate of my happiness in their hands, I felt that I had lost more than I could ever regain. That this world had more of me than I could ever take back. I was gone. A few years ago, my mom invited me here. It wasn't waters to me then, it was just another shell of what never was or will be. I came here because I was asked to, not because I wanted to. That meant I had no expectations for what I was about to experience. All I knew for certain is that this wasn't going to be for me. I mean, after all, I was too much of a free thinker for this, right? Nothing could be said to me that would change my mind. I was set and this wasn't real. I came here because I was asked to. I stayed here because I needed to. I'd be lying to you if I told you I felt an overwhelming presence or that I was made anew. It was quite the opposite. Rather, my brokenness was laid out before me in ways I had never seen before. A sight in the shadows that I had come to know too well. A hope for something different. A way that wasn't mine. I was given the chance to not stumble through darkness by a way I always believed would never deliver me. And by giving a chance in return, my heart started to change, my view started to shift, and my faith started to grow. I began serving here by being called on to act, to not only receive a sliver of light on my face from this seat, but to step out from the shadows and give back. Serving here brought me closer to God because I spent less time looking away from Him and more time beside Him. Today I tell you my heart is full, all because of the decision I made to stop leading myself and start following God's call to action. Freedom is not in us to find, it is in Him to lead us to. Now I am here not because of my own way, but because someone cared enough to invite me. Now I am here not because I was set in a trap, but because I was set free from one. Now I am here for those who are not yet here. Now I am here. Not yet here. Part three, we did the part number one, which was we are here. We did the second part last week, which, is, which was for those, and we talked about these and those, or ours, our people and those people. 
talked about Jonah, us and demonia. We talked about all the things that we tend to do, build these walls between us and them. And the kingdom of God is about breaking down that wall, being the people who are here for those people who are not like us, who think differently than us, who dress differently than us, who might be age different than us, uh, ethnicity different than us. The church of Jesus must be the people who break down the walls between us and them. This is where it starts. Why? Because there was a day when Jesus went through the wall and tore down the wall for us. He came and in the cross he tore down the wall that was separating us and God. And because of his work for us, we then share that work with people who are unlike us because we were once unlike Christ. Amen? This week, the words are, who are not. So we are here for those who are not. Last week will be the final week of this series, not yet here. Um, what do we mean, though, when we say those who are not? What is, what is this talking about? Let's get some framework for what we're going to talk about today. When I talk about those who are not, I think it's important that we understand that there, are, uh, there is a tendency in the human heart to start to categorize people uh, based on our perception of them. And now I'm not talking about the us and the stuff. I'm talking about just how when we look at people, we kind of instantly make judgments for good or for bad. And sometimes we allow these judgments to uh, make Make us think that there's some people that God can save and God can use, and then there are the people that there's no shot, you know. And I don't know if you have people like that in your life. I, I think that we all do this, because I do it. And we look at certain people and say, there's just no chance. Like, don't even waste your time. Don't even ask them. Don't even invite them to church, because they'll never come. And we tend to do this, this kind of labeling in our, in our own minds and our own spirits. But the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus is about transforming people from what they were to what God can make them to be. See, we don't act like it's impossible with any, we can't, we can't act like it's impossible with anybody. Why? Because we serve a God who said, with me all things are possible. Anybody can come to Christ. The gospel of Jesus can change any human heart. The gospel of Jesus can forgive any history of sin. The gospel of Jesus can renew and regenerate any human mind. What I'm saying is we serve a God who deals well in raw materials. Come on, somebody. He made man out of the dust of the earth. He made Moses a mighty deliverer when he had a stuttering problem. He made David the mighty king when his own dad rejected him and looked down on him. I mean, our Bible is filled with stories of people who had no shot apart from God, and now they're written down in human history in this book to teach us that there's no one who is beyond the power of God to save, to use, to transform, and to empower, to accomplish great and mighty things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I have conversations with people. I say, to this, I say this to our ministry leaders on a regular basis. I hold up the Bible and I say, what are the stories for? What are the stories for? The stories are so that we remember God can do great things with the things that are not. 
God can do great things with the people who are not in our estimation. When I started, when we started this church, I don't want to say I, because it was a group of us. When we started this church in 2003, we started with 20 people, five families. And we started at the North Attleboro Cinema Pub. And then I just believe that you should be one or the other. I don't know. Be a pub or a cinema, but don't be both. <laughs> so we would have like some services, 16 people. And, and we brought five families from our Norwood church down here to start this church. And I looked at the people and I thought, potential, 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 not so much, not so much, not so much. Like that's, that's me. That's how I think, right? Well, one of the not so much people was Shane Parsons. Like I looked at it, I was not so much. And I say this not to discredit him. I say this to discredit me. Don't laugh at him. Laugh at me because here's how thick I am. I was looking on the outside. I was looking at what man saw. I was looking at what maybe even he saw in himself. But how many know, and I'm so, I'm so glad about this, how many know that God doesn't look at people the way people look at people? And this guy started serving and started a, and then he started a, a soup kitchen and he was doing the soup kitchen every month feeding homeless people and, and poor people and I watched how diligent he was and then he would do this thing where he, every morning I would preach uh, on Sunday and then Monday morning get in the office and get my first phone call was from Shane Parsons. He'd call me from his office. He'd say, hey, what are you doing? How, you need anything? What can I do this week? How can I help you? And, and every Monday this happened. Every Monday. And I was like, leave me alone. I'm fine. And eventually I was like, how do I get rid of this guy? And I figured it out. Let's hire him. That way he doesn't have to call me anymore. He can just do it. And this is how thick I am because I'm like, oh, this is a potential great man of God. No, I was thinking, let me get him off my back. He gets the job. He starts running the race, man. He starts going beyond what I ever imagined. And who he is today is because God can do great things with raw materials. Never live like this, friend. Never live making judgments on other people by what you see in them. Just don't do it. There was a time when I didn't have what I have now, what I am now. I, mean, I know you look at me right now. I know you look at me and you say, awesome man of God. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, there was a time when I could not put two words together in front of people. There was a time when I wasn't this. There was a time when I, I had a hard time preaching and teaching. There was a time when I taught things that were, were not exactly biblical. <laughs> so I look back on my notes and I'm like, what was I thinking saying that stuff? Thank God that people usually only retain 10% of what a preacher says anyway. But see, somebody believed in me. Somebody thought I could do it. And I, I, I always remember that there was somebody when I was in a church, very small church, you know, in my hometown. And, and I told my pastor that I, I think that God has called me to preach. And I had never preached before and I was 16 years old. And I'll never forget. And this guy, you know, not the greatest pastor in the world, i got to be honest with you. Since then he's divorced his wife and married another person. It was bad. But before that time, before that time when he was our pastor, I'll, I'll thank God that he looked at me, turned to me and said, well, if that's the case... You're preaching next Sunday night. And I'm 16 years old and I'm like, really? And I go home and I practice and I study and I study all night. I study every night of the week. I'm, I go to school in the morning, come home, 
forget my schoolwork. I'm just going to study the Bible. I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. I'm so scared. I'm so nervous. I'm getting all my notes. Twelve pages of college-ruled notes. Twelve pages of college-ruled notes. College-ruled, people. College-ruled. Not wide-ruled. College. Twelve pages. I go to go in, get in my car and drive to the church that Sunday night, because we used to go three times a week. We were really Christian back then. And so I get in my car Sunday night to go to church. I tell my mom, Mom, I'm going. You know, I'm preaching tonight. She says, I know. I said, okay, I'll see you there. She says, no, you won't. I said, what do you mean you won't? I won't see you there. You're not coming. She says, no, I don't want you to mess up. I don't want to watch it. You mess up. I don't want to watch it. I'm like, thanks for the encouragement, Mom. I drive down to the church. I get there. I'm sweating. I'm nervous. I'm scared to death. I'm preaching to people who are twice, three times, quadruple my age. What can I do? I get up on the stage, man. I wish I could tell you that the Holy Spirit took over and 30, 35,000 people got saved out of the 16 that were there. I wish I could tell you that that happened. I get up there on the stage and I preach my heart out 12 pages of notes. I was done in six minutes. Everybody's like, that's it? That's all he's got? Like, I remember I went to college my first year, and I came back after my second year, my second year and they had me preach again. And this time I had a little bit more to say, and I went about 30 minutes, and it was much, much better. But I remember that there was a woman that came up to me, and she, she came up, thank God for her honesty, because she came up, she's like, man, when you told us that you were called to be a pastor and a preacher, I was thinking, no, not a good idea. <laughs> But I can see there's a lot of potential in you now. I mean, you know, like, thank God she kept her mouth shut when she didn't think I had it, right? Like, don't, don't live this kind of life where we start to say, you can't. You can't. I don't like those words. In our offices upstairs, there's a, there's a we can't jar. Anytime somebody says we can't, we tell them you've got to put a dollar in the jar. We're not going to live like that as Christians. We're not going to live like that as the church of Jesus Christ. This faith was founded on somebody rising from the dead. All things are possible with God. And, and I want to be the kind of church that believes in, listen, those who are not so who are the knots in your life? I can think about Gideon who was this guy who was hiding in a cave. Gideon hiding in a cave. Like we name our kids Gideon today. He, he wasn't that mighty in the beginning. Hiding in a cave trying to make bread out of a wine press. I don't, I don't know. That's like being a cinema pub. You just don't make bread out of a wine press. Be one or the other. Do one or the other. But you don't do that hiding from the enemies of Israel. And the Lord shows up and says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, who are you talking to? He says, go and deliver Israel from the Midianites in your power. And Gideon's like, are you actually asking me? Yes, I'm asking, go. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I need proof. Like, this is a Gideon's problem. I need proof. And so he goes through these, like, several things to prove that God is actually telling him to do this. And this is actually where we get that phrase, throw your fleece out, because he's the guy with the fleece. And he says, okay, God, I'm not sure about this. I'm really scared. So if I put the fleece out, here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow morning, fleece dry, ground wet. God's like, no problem. Wakes up the next morning, fleece dry, ground wet. Gideon's like, wow, that was really impressive, but that could have been, an assert, you know, that could have been like just a coincidence. This time, fleece wet, ground dry. And then the next day, wakes up, fleece wet, ground dry. The opposite. I don't know what I said the first time, but the opposite of the other one. And God does it. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is God. So he gets the army together. 30,000 people. God says, you got too many. Too many because I don't want people to start thinking that you did it. I want people to know that I did it through you. 
So he's like, all right, here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to get, tell everybody in the army who is not up to fighting today to leave. He's like, okay, everybody, who doesn't want to fight, leave. 20,000 people are like, thank God, I'm going home. They go home. 10,000 people left. God's like, still too many. Gideon's like, are you kidding me? There's a million people we're facing. You want me to fight with 10,000 people and that's still too many? God's like, yes, take them down to the water. Have them drink water. The ones that bring the water up to their lips with their hands. Those are the ones you keep. The ones that get on down on all fours and lick from the water. Those are the ones you get rid of. 9,700 people get down on their knees and hands and lick from the water. Gideon is left with 300. Yes, this was the true 300 story. And he takes 300 soldiers and he surrounds the camp of Midian. And with trumpets and jars, he smashes the jars. He blows the trumpets and the Midianites turn on each other and throw, are thrown into confusion by the Spirit of the Lord. And Gideon with 300 people routes the Midianites and saves Israel in power that he did not know previously that he had. And by the way, doubted it every step of the way. And God kept working on this boy and leading this boy and encouraging this boy to teach you and I a lesson. This is what the stories are for. To teach you and I a lesson that it is never what we bring to the table. It is always what God does through us. And I want to believe like that. I want to believe like that. And I want our church to always believe like that. There are people in this audience now. You are future campus pastors. You are future, uh, you know, business leaders. You, you don't even know it yet. You're just working a nine to five. You're just going through the moat. You're just doing your thing. God's got a business inside of you. A business just resident inside of you. You're, like, you're going to come up with some ideas. It's going to be astounding. It's going to bless this community. It's going to provide a product that's useful to people. And you're going to lead that business in Christian principles and in the gospel center of Jesus in your heart. And you're going to bless North Attleboro and Massachusetts because God doesn't need you to bring much to the table. He's got all that you need. There, there are small group leaders that have yet to be stepping up to be small group leaders. There are band members. There are children's workers. There are, there are community leaders. There are selectmen, I believe, sitting here in this audience. There might be state senators, state representatives sitting right here. Like, that was, there's no amen for that? Like, really? You guys not interested in changing the world for Jesus? I mean, we got to believe this we got to believe that there is potential here. Again, not because of what you bring to the table, but because we serve a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work in us. So, I want to take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's go to the text before I burst a blood vessel. <laughs> and let's read together. Would you stand with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what Paul is going to tell the Corinthians, by the way. Everything I'm telling you, he's telling them. And here's what he says. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly. Somebody say folly. Folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, the word of the cross is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And Paul then says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brother. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful or of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to the not the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast where? In the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Listen to the openness of Paul the Apostle here. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in my wisdom or the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that we are gathered in this place to hear from you. May the words of my mouth And the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. May we see Jesus and may we learn today to believe in those who are not. By your grace, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Have a seat. So Paul wants to move the Corinthians to this place where they realize What they bring to the table really doesn't matter. And who they think they are really doesn't matter. And who other people think they are really doesn't matter. If we could only get to that place personally within ourselves, we would be in such a better place. We would be in such a better place. We could just stop making decisions based on what other people think about us or what we think about us because sometimes the problem is not what other people think sometimes the problem is what you think you look in the mirror and you just tear yourself apart you just look in there like ah anybody do that i don't do that but i'm sure some of you do (laughs) and you just tear yourself down like you're always looking at like all your flaws and yours and then you live from your flaws and then you live from your weaknesses and, and you live from what others got that you didn't get. And how many of us then just tread water in mediocrity and negativity. Because surely God made a mistake with me. And, and Paul's going to be like, nothing's further from the truth. Let's get past this. Okay, so... Uh, if we're going to believe in those who are not, and sometimes it starts with this guy right here, you, your individual self first, and then people around you. If we're going to start believing that God can do great and mighty things through people that we don't think can, it can happen in, we've got to move through these three movements of Paul the Apostle. So movement number one, and here's the point that I want to give you, write it down, is this. He's like telling them, first off, you need to understand that the system of this world is not all that. The system of this world is not all that. 
Don't get enamored with the measurements of the system of this age. This is Paul's first movement. The world is filled with measurements. The world is filled with comparisons and contrasts. The world is filled with measure yourself by this standard, and once you reach this standard, then you're somebody. And we get trapped into this. It's in our advertising. It's in our social media. It's in everything. It's everywhere. And so Paul is going to tell the Corinthians, all right, let's break it down real simple. First thing he says is remember that the word of the cross Look with me there, it says there in verse 18. The word of the cross is folly <coughs> to those who are perishing. So if you're a Christian, you have to come to terms with something. You believe in a message. You believe in a story that many people think is absolute nonsense. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it changed your life. But listen for 2,000 years, there's always been somebody around who thought it was stupid. Get used to this. It's okay. Expect this. It's okay. Not everybody is going to be down with our faith. Not everybody's going to be okay with your commitment to Jesus. Not even your family members. Maybe not even your spouse, your kids, your parents, whatever. Get used to this. This has been happening since Jesus was here. And I love Paul's honesty. Hey, everybody, we believe in a message that a lot of people think is foolish. <laughs> we gather in a room today because of a message that a lot of people out there don't think is all that smart. And then he says this phrase. He says, where is the one who is wise? I love this. Where is the one who is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? And I wanted, to, I wanted to just like identify these people for you in Paul's day. Because he's not talking about people who don't exist. He's talking about people who did exist in the first century. In the first century when Christianity was birthed in Jerusalem and spread throughout the Roman Empire, the powers that be in the Roman Empire didn't think Christianity was, was smart or clever or sharp. They thought it was nonsense, the powers that be. I want to introduce you to three of them. The first one I want to talk to you about is Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger. We could put a picture of him up on the screen. This is what he looked like. This is what men did in the olden days when their hair receded. They just put leaves around the areas where they needed hair. Anyway, he was a uh, lawyer, an author, and a magistrate of Rome. He was uh, someone who wrote hundreds of books. He was friends with the emperors. He was very, very important. He was like secretary of state in Rome. The next one I want to talk to you about is Tacitus. Tacitus looks like this. And he's angry because his beard doesn't look as good as mine. And so he's... This guy is like one of the greatest historians of ancient antiquity. And he uh, wrote five volumes of the Roman Empire. Uh, still debated, still discussed to this day in universities. Um, very influential, very powerful, very uh, important person. He was actually a senator in the Roman Empire. Very, very powerful, very, very important. The third one I want to talk to you about is Suetonius. And Suetonius <laughs> is the best picture we could find of him. You know, if you looked like that, you'd just be angry too. So he's angry as well. This guy was a very close friend of the Caesars. He actually documented and wrote about Julius Caesar's um, epileptic seizures. How, how funny is that? Caesar had seizures. Um, and he actually documented this, and he had very close contact with the most powerful people in the Roman Empire. So these three, like, people... In Paul's, like we don't know, how many of you know one of these people? Raise your hand. Anybody at all? 
Because, like, last night at least we had, like, five people. All right, so, like, two, three. All right, fantastic. Like, unless you go to a boring class in college, you probably don't hear about these people. And so I don't, I don't decry that because what Paul is making the case here in the first century is where are they now? Nobody's listening to them now. But here's what they said. Here's what those three very important people said in the first century about Jesus, about Christianity. Pliny the Younger said Christianity is a madness, a perverse and outlandish superstition. Tacitus said it's a pernicious superstition, a disease which broke out in Rome where all things horrible or shameful in the world find a vogue. And Suetonius said it's a new and mischievous superstition. That's what the important powers that be said about our faith in the first century. And here's what Paul says. Where are they now? Nobody's listening to them anymore. You don't even know who they are. And when you go to a wedding, nobody gets up at the podium and says, a reading from Tacitus, the great historian of Rome. What do they do? A reading from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Love is, love is, okay, okay. We're still reading what people who love Jesus wrote down. And people who hated him have fallen into the abyss of human history. When you go to a funeral, nobody says, I'm sorry for your loss. But as Suetonius once said, nobody does that. We say, remember what David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. That's, and, and here's what I want you to catch. When it counts, we listen to people who loved and followed Jesus. So you might be working with people, you might be living with people, you might know people, don't want anything to do with Christianity, don't want to listen to you. Think you're nuts. Think you're crazy. Think coming to church is stupid and old-fashioned. But let me just tell you, when it counts, they're going to come talk to you. When they hit the bricks, when, when their life hits the skids, you will be there. Because that's our story, some of you. That's your story like you were never going to come to Waters Church until. And you were thankful that at that moment someone was there who loved Jesus. Friends, listen, we don't have to go out from this place and try to just jam this down people's throat. No, we got to go out from this place and live from the fullness of God and live in the power of the Holy Spirit and remember that we are now saved, redeemed, transformed, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, new people, holy priests, righteous, walking not in our righteousness but in Christ's righteousness and we are called according to his purposes and our lives have meaning and our lives have significance and our lives have fullness. We live that way and we don't force anybody else. We just live that way, love that way, care for other people. And when the people around us finally realize that there is such a thing as death and there is such a thing as emptiness and there is such a thing as sadness, that we will be there to catch them when they fall and bring them in and say, Jesus can change your life as well. Like that's, that's, our, that's our game plan. And this is what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians. So he's like, stop measuring yourself. Stop worrying about the people who are important now. I think about Suetonius, Tacitus, and um, Pliny the Younger. I think that these could be easily, in our generation, like Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, and Jay-Z. Like, that, you know? And, and it was like, you we're thinking, oh, these people are so important. It's so important. Oh, what they say is so important. So important. And it's like, no, in, in 50 years, people are going to say, who? 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 
in 100 years, they won't even know they existed. And in 200 years, a guy like me will be up on a stage saying, how many remember Jay-Z? And everybody's going to be like, who? And, and, and yet they're so big, so important, so influential. I was like, okay, it's kind of intimidated as Christians. Like, oh, look at how powerful and impressive the world is. And Paul's like, don't get allured. Don't get enamored by that. Because they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. But in 200 years, in 1,000 years, if Jesus tarries, there will still be a church of Jesus Christ. Because God always has a people who worship him. And I'm with that movement. And my name might not be written in the records of human significance, but my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So we gotta get, we gotta get past measurements. And then number two, he gets a little bit more personal if you're taking notes, write it down. Jesus' followers are not all that. Jesus' followers are not all that. And this is an important, you know, step to take in your own walk. Because here's what Paul says to the Corinthians in verse 26. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to, what's the word there? Worldly standards. So again, there's the measurement, the standards of the world. Okay, so you're not, you're not smart according to them. And you're not powerful according to them. And you're not of noble birth according to them. In the next verse. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to not those things that are. So we, we've got to remember that we were not chosen by God because we brought something to the table. And if we brought nothing to the table, then we've got nothing to prove. And if we've got nothing to prove, then we are free. See, that's how it works. The reason why God doesn't want you boasting in yourself and your achievements and all of your things is because once you get those things, you have to stress to keep those things. Follow me. A lot of people spend their first half of their life trying to get somewhere. And the second half of their life trying to stay there. I, I heard one person say it like this. We spend, we spend our health, in the first 50 years of our life, we spend our health trying to get wealth. And then in the second half, the second 50 years, we spend our wealth trying to keep our health. And so we, we, we are always chasing and be careful of the chase because once you get it, you have to keep it. And if that's your defining thing, if that's what you're going to measure yourself by, if that's what you're going to put your faith, your hope, your significance in, I got bad news, you can't keep it. You can't keep your looks. You can't keep your smarts. You can't, I mean, come on. Think about, you, you know, you just can't hold on to anything really. And, and so what Christianity does is wonderful. It says, listen, you didn't have anything anyway. And God loves that about you. He, I, I, he loves to pick the ones we don't pick. And do amazing things with the ones we don't think he can do anything with. So, so, so that we realize that it's always what God does in me. And I think, like, if I can just hold on in my faith in what God is doing in me, then it's not going to matter what I lose. Because God will use whatever I've got left. <laughs> Amen? Like some, some of you need to just internalize this because you're, you're on that back nine. Okay? You're on that back nine. It's okay to be there. And the way you live there and thrive there is to remember it's all his anyway. Use 
use these last years of my life for your glory, God. Let me leverage what I have and what I can do for your glory. Because when you found me, I was a nobody. In fact, I want you to write this down in your notes. Here's who we are. Christians are nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody. That's all we are. And capitalize S in somebody because the somebody is not your uncle. The somebody is Jesus. We're nobody's trying to tell everybody about somebody. And so then the last thing that I want you to write down, the last point is this. My knots are all God needs. My knots are all God needs. See, he says, listen, stop measuring yourself by the worldly standards because that's foolishness. And God doesn't need worldly standards. He just needs an open heart. Secondly, remember that you were not all that because then if you start thinking you were all that or you start to get somewhere where you think you're all that, then you got to strive and, heart and work and, and use others to keep it. So let's let, that, let's let that go too. Remember that you're nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. But thirdly, if you got knots, welcome to the club. That's all God needs. What are your knots? Maybe you're a no-not. Maybe you're not that smart. Maybe you're a have-not. Maybe you're not that rich. Maybe you're a ought-not. Some say you shouldn't have been born. Maybe, maybe you were just naughty. <laughs> like how I did that with a not naughty. And and it's like, just bring your knots because that's all God needs. And Paul gets a little bit more personal. He says, look, when I, when I came to you, all right, real personal testimony here. Look at it on your notes there, real quick. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you. Proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. What does he say? In, in Corinth, it was all about lofty speech and wisdom in Corinth in the first. Corinth was like Boston, Massachusetts. It had the Harvard, you know, it had the MITs of the world. It had, you know, the philosophical, educational, university centers of the Roman Empire. And Paul says, I came to you and I realized that, that in Corinth, you were judged based on how impressive your speech was. He says, I could have played that game, but I chose not to. Look what he says. And I decided to know nothing except, except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Now, why does Paul do that? Because he says it. He says, because I don't want you to get impressed with what I bring to the table. I want you to get moved by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a power to the message of Jesus that we cannot comprehend, we cannot quantify. When Christ is proclaimed, hearts change. It's just a fact. I, I was thinking about how there was, you know, the greatest evangelist of the last century. What was his name? Billy Graham. <laughs> okay. Who was his best friend in the 1940s? One person over here, Charles Templeton, that's right. Nobody else knows. You know, when they first started out, they thought Charles Templeton was the better speaker, the more gifted man of God, the guy who would rock the United States for Jesus. In the 1950s, he decided to go to Princeton Seminary where all good theologians go to die. And he lost his faith. And he came to Billy Graham, his friend, and he said, Billy... You can't believe this stuff anymore. Come on. Science has disproven this. I, I can't believe it. I just can't believe I've chosen. To, and it, it's like trying to de-evangelize Billy Graham because he was his friend. Billy Graham said, Charles, 
I don't know what's going on with you, but he, and this is from Charles Templeton's own book. I know that when I stand before people and I say, this is what Jesus has done for you, something happens in the human heart that I can't quantify. And that's what I'm going with. How many of you are thankful that Billy Graham made that decision? I'm so thankful. And so I wonder, like, because Paul says, I came to you with fear and trembling and my speech and my message were not fear and trembling and weakness. Like, Paul's like, I came to you, I was scared. I was, honestly, Corinthians, I was scared when I started this thing with you guys. How many love the fact that Paul's, like, being honest here? I'm so thankful because sometimes I'm scared. Sometimes you're scared. And, I, and so we're trying to, like, ask many of you to start serving God in this church, like faith in action booth out there, and some of you, you're throwing up the excuses against the wall time and time again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, and some of you it's, I'm scared. So what? Paul was scared. Thank God he pushed through his fear and presented Jesus. So, you know, maybe you're waiting until you're not scared anymore. Stop waiting. Do it while you're scared. Because sometimes fear is a good thing. It motivates you. It pushes you. It, you know, it helps you to prepare. Like some of you small group leaders, you know this too. Like some of, this, this is a common excuse. Well, you don't know how bad my marriage is. All right. One of the best things that could help your marriage is by you being accountable to serving God in this church. Because here's what happens. Some of you small group leaders, you get this. Like it's hard to keep fighting when you have people showing up at your house every week. And it's like, on, Wednesday, on, the, on the night of small group, you're going to be like, can we make up? Because people are about to come to the house. Can we make, like, you don't have to do that. Like, and so I get it too. I get it too. Because my fights with my wife can only last until Saturday morning. They can only last until I have to wake up. And, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's like, you're only making up with me because you want to preach. I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. I have to, like, get over these things. And some of us, we have to get over our little crap so that we can do great things for the cause of Jesus Christ. You'll never get over it. I mean, how long are you going to let that little thing that somebody said to you 15 years ago hold you back from what God has for you? And let it go. Step out of step in faith and say, I, I, today, today is the day. I'm going to start. I'm going to do something. I'm going to let God use me with all my weaknesses, with all my failures, with all my knots. Because my knots are all he needs. <laughs>